And thank you, choir. Thank you all for being here and singing for us on Christmas Day. Aren't you grateful for our choir and our musicians this morning? So thankful. And uh, Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you. Some of you saw last night, others of you, uh, brand new faces today. So glad that you're here joining us for worship on Christmas Day. I was thinking about when Jonathan was talking about the Nintendo, um, I had one of those too. But you know, the thing is, it's kind of funny. Kids kind of bring their Nintendos with them to church nowadays, don't they? I mean, you think about it. Uh, wow. And so the technology has definitely changed. But I know what that's like too, uh, having, uh, waiting on a Christmas present that's there at home. And so um, I'll, 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 I'll preach, and I know you've got turkeys in the oven and all kinds of things such as that. Um, I was just thinking about the cold weather, too, and I, I told the Christmas Eve crowd last night it was so cold that all the politicians in Washington, D.C. have their hands in their own pockets. It's pretty cold. Yeah, it's pretty cold. Somebody said, and here's another one, somebody said that it is so, it, it's colder than a nursery worker's stare after a pastor's 55-minute sermon. And I felt that. That's really, really cold. Really cold. Well, I'm so glad you're here. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to a very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, where we will uh, read the Christmas story together on this wonderful Christmas day. You know, someone said uh, the other day, thinking about Christmas falling on a Sunday this year, knowing that we were having a big Christmas Eve service, and, you know, I know they meant well, but they said, you know, I'm so sorry you have to preach on Christmas Day. To which I said, you know what, there's nothing else I would rather do. And there's nowhere else I would rather be than right here with my faith family on Christmas Day celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, he's the reason for the season. And so I can't imagine not gathering together with the family of faith because Christmas is so much more than all of the other trappings that come with the season. So I'm glad that you're here. If you're a guest joining us this morning, we're glad you're here. In fact, I'm also told that some of our friends from Park Place uh, over in Thomasville are here. Y'all up in the balcony up there. Would you welcome them to Green Street this morning? We're glad y'all are here. Love y'all very much, and just so thankful to have you all here with us on Christmas Day. You know, Christmas is a birthday celebration for King Jesus, and it's not about us at all, is it? It's all about Him. In fact, the vast majority of people in our world are totally missing Christmas this year. Now, they may be celebrating, but they may not know what it is that they're really celebrating or why it is that they're celebrating. And the fact of the matter is, they're missing out. And then you've got some folks who are like Luther and Nora Crank who choose to skip Christmas altogether. You know, you've seen that movie. Uh, they decide that with all the money that they spend at Christmas, they can skip all of that and take a Caribbean cruise. You know, their daughter, she's away in the Peace Corps, wouldn't be coming home. And if you've seen that movie, you know that things really don't go as planned. But movies aside, some people are missing out completely on Christmas this year. And you say, okay, pastor, uh, how is that? How can anybody really miss out on Christmas given the amount of time as far as adverse advertising is, is involved? 
uh, all of the publicity and the promotion that Christmas receives every year. I mean, the commercial started two months ago. The Christmas music, radio stations switched over to all Christmas music, you know, around Thanksgiving. And so how could anybody miss out on Christmas? Well, because although many people celebrate Christmas every year, most folks don't know what Christmas is all about. And they may give some pat answer that it's about Jesus, but they really, they really don't understand the deeper truth of what Christmas ultimately is all about. And so in spite of all of the media promotion, uh, so many people are missing out this Christmas season because the real meaning of Christmas has become so obscured by all of the man-made trappings of the season. Now, for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, Christmas is the time for us to focus on his birth, Advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus uh, into our world. And we can even get so caught up in all of this hurricane of activity that, that, that typically is associated with this holiday that we can still miss out in a very practical sense ultimately what Christmas is all about. And we, we've so cluttered the concept with the man-made and all this paraphernalia that the true meaning can be lost if we're not careful. Now, there's no biblical mandate anywhere telling us as the church to celebrate the birth of the Lord. In fact, when the early church got together, they got together to celebrate not the Lord's birth, but his resurrection. And so the weekly gathering of the body of Christ on the Lord's day, we gather together to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so every time the church gathers together, we meet together, it's a reminder on the Lord's day that our Savior is alive and well. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave through his resurrection. And so there's no mandate for us to celebrate Christmas. And you say, well, when did all of this celebration really begin? Well, I won't bore you with all the details of history, but if you go back through history, then you know that prior to Christianity, throughout the Roman Empire, uh, so much, you know, there was pagan festivities associated with the changing of the seasons. Uh, the winter solstice being the darkest time of the year. There was a lot of pagan festivities that were involved, and so you had some of those early church fathers that really attempted to kind of Christianize all of that. And so you had various traditions over the years that sort of sprung up around this time of year. It's believed that the very first Christmas tree was instituted by Boniface, who was an English uh, missionary to Germany in the 8th century. Some have even later attributed uh, Martin Luther to introducing the Christmas tree being lit with candles and that kind of thing. And so, so many of the traditions that we typically associate with Christmas time have sort of emerged over the centuries. And yet, it's important for us to remember what Christmas ultimately is all about because, again, it's Advent. It's the coming of the Son of God into our darkened world. Now, you think about the need of humanity. You think about the lostness of humanity. And man doesn't need just a little bit of happiness to be able to get through his day. It's not simply the festivity of some season or holiday that he needs to make him feel better about himself. No, what man needs is a Savior more than anything else. 
And so Christmas is a reminder to us, folks, that we need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. So you've got your Bible there, Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Now, I'll go ahead and confess, every year I wrestle with this temptation, as do all preachers, that in some way I've got to be creative with the Christmas story simply because it's something that we're so familiar with. You perhaps can quote it by memory. And so I'm not setting out to be creative. I'm not setting out to entertain you this morning. I want us to just simply look at the Christmas story and be reminded of the importance of the coming of the Son of God into our very dark world. And the fact of the matter is we have hope. The world has hope because of Christmas. So Luke chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible simply says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Now again, every encounter in Scripture and in redemptive history that someone has with the glory of God, the manifest glory of God, it's always a fearful thing to that person. The same thing's true for these shepherds, but how reassuring it is to hear from the angelic host, fear not. We don't say scary Christmas, we say merry Christmas, because this is good news. These angels are coming to announce good news, glad tidings of the Savior's birth. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Gospel, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
Now, this morning, I just simply want to ask you a question. And and here's my question. Will you miss Christmas this year? Will you miss Christmas? You know, as we come to this very familiar passage of, of Scripture, I've preached this passage a number of times. You've heard a number of messages, various pastors, preachers. I've heard messages about the shepherds. I've heard messages from Matthew's gospel about the wise men. And so all of the familiar characters of Christmas associated with the nativity or the Christmas story, messages on on Mary and her faith and her obedience and submission to God, Uh, messages on Joseph and, and his faith. You know, Joseph, he acts on faith, obediently responding to the word of God that had been revealed to him. Because this was a very scandalous event prior to Christ's birth when Mary is pregnant. This is something that's very scandalous, and yet it's all by divine design. And yet there are some characters associated with the Christmas story that we don't really talk about a whole lot. Because there are some characters, some who are named, some who are unnamed, who really miss out as far as the Christmas story is concerned. And so for just a few minutes this morning, I want us to sort of zero in on a few of these characters that are unnamed, that we don't talk a lot about, and I want to show you how ultimately they miss out on Christmas, and and we really need to be able to pay close attention to the lesson that we learn from them lest we make the same mistake. Who is it that misses out on Christmas? Well, number one, notice those who are caught up in idolatry. Those who are caught up in idolatry this time of year ultimately will miss out completely on Christmas. You know, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but at this particular time, uh, Judea was under Roman occupation. The Romans ruled the day. Uh, This particular period of history, you, you had Rome and the apex of its power. Micah's prophecy had said that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And all of that, according to what we read in Scripture, was really set in motion by the most powerful man of the day, unbeknownst to him. Because notice Luke 2 begins with this decree that goes out from a Gentile emperor named Caesar Augustus. And the only thing really that Scripture says about Augustus is that he decrees that a census or a tax be taken. And so, again, Luke is a meticulous historian, and he's emphasizing the details of history here, wanting you to know that this is not just some made-up fancy tale. No, this is a historical event that happens, something that happens when, when Augustus is ruling the Roman Empire, when Quirinius is governor of Syria. And so Augustus, that's a title that means supreme ruler. Now history reveals him to be Octavian, who was a powerful emperor in Rome. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. You know history, you know that Caesar uh, was murdered. And it was at that point that Octavian, or Octavius learns that he is Caesar's heir. Now what starts out as sort of a triumvirate of leaders in the Roman Empire eventually Octavian sort of consolidates power. He becomes a powerful emperor. The Senate confers upon him this title of Augustus or supreme ruler. 
So, so pay close attention to the details here. Here you have a decree that's going out by someone who has assumed the title supreme ruler. A man who thought he's large and in charge. A man who's the most powerful man in the world at the time. And the only thing that scripture has to say about him is the fact that he just issues this decree that all of his empire be taxed. Now, again, under Augustus and his rule, he brought what was known as Pax Romana to the Roman Empire or Roman peace. It was sort of an ancient version of peace through strength that kind of, 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 of thinking. And so he built these massive roads. And so Rome was characterized by effective systems of transportation. The Greeks had provided really a common language for the world at this particular point in time. So at this period in history, you had sort of a relative peace that was true as far as the world and the empire was concerned. You had a common language that had united the empire. You had a system of roads which made travel somewhat easier than it had ever been before in history up until this point. And isn't it interesting that Galatians 4.4 says that it was at the appointed time at the appropriate time, in the fullness of time that God sent forth his son into the world. Which means it wasn't by accident, but the unseen hand of God was working behind the details of history. We would, again, call this providence, the providence of God working even through a decree made by a Gentile emperor. Someone who was an idol worshiper someone who was the head of an empire that was characterized by idolatry. And the only thing that Scripture has to say about him is that he just made this decision to issue a decree. I want to know how many people are in my empire. But you want to know what that decree really involved? It meant that every man had to go to the city of his birth. He had to go to his hometown. Now, Joseph and Mary, they're in Nazareth of all places. And Nazareth is located in Galilee. Well, they have to make the trip to Bethlehem to be registered and be a part of this census or registration because the emperor in Rome has decreed it. It's official state policy all throughout the empire. But you see, long before Augustus ever rolled onto the scene, the prophet Micah had foretold that it was in Bethlehem of Judea where the Son of God would make his entrance into our world. And so now was the time on God's calendar for Christ to be born. And so Caesar Augustus is merely an instrument in the hands of God, just like every other political leader who's ever lived in history. Just like every politician in Washington or whoever else for that matter, there is one King of kings and Lord of lords and one ultimate sovereign and all of humanity is subject to him. But the point that I want you to see here is that, that, that Rome and, and, and the Romans they sort of are there behind the scenes as a part of the Christmas story. And Rome is often in the picture all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. We see his ministry to a Roman centurion. We read about the Roman centurion that was there, the Romans that carried out the crucifixion, the execution of Jesus. Crucifixion was a method of execution that was perfected by the Romans, and these Romans were idol worshipers. Roman guards lied about the resurrection, trying to cover up the story, uh, the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And my point that I want to make to you is, is this. 
These Romans missed out on Christmas because of their idolatry. What was really important, what was really happening at this particular point in time was what was going on in Bethlehem, a very remote place, not what was happening in Rome, not what was happening in the most important city of the world at the time, but what was happening in a little village just six miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And folks, there are a lot of people this year missing out on Christmas because they're blinded, steeped in idolatry. Our culture is full of people today who worship their own gods. They may not bow down to idols like the Romans did in their time, but they worship idols nonetheless. Some people worship money and possessions, and physical pleasure, cars, boats, and houses, and all of the stuff. Isn't it interesting that this season that's associated with light is also so associated with materialism, greed, more stuff. And some people worship power and prestige. Some people are so concerned about their image and their appearance. And these are nothing more than old pagan gods called by different names, but very much the same pantheon that was worshiped by the Romans before the advent of Christ. Now, if that's what you're worshiping, let me tell you, you'll miss Christmas. You may receive some presents. You may eat some food here in just a little while. You may enjoy festivities around a beautifully decorated tree, but you'll miss Christmas if you're not careful being distracted with idolatry. Now, notice a second thing. A second group who miss out on Christmas are those who are complacently preoccupied. Not only those who are caught up in idolatry, but what about those who are complacent, preoccupied? You'll notice here in the Christmas story, verse 7 says that Mary gives birth to her firstborn son. She wraps him in those swaddling clothes lays him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. Here you have a woman who is about to give birth, if you can imagine that, and yet there's not a single person willing to give up their place in the inn for a pregnant lady, for a stranger. So the next person who misses out on Christmas is the innkeeper. He's unable to take in Mary and Joseph. There's no room for them in his inn. Perhaps he's indifferent to their situation. Now, there's no indication here in the text that he calls for any help because notice all of the action that happens here, it's, it's attributed to Mary. She gave birth to her firstborn son. So it's Mary who's giving birth to the Lord Jesus. It's Mary who's wrapping him in swaddling clothes. Now, of course, Joseph was there to help, but I imagine he's like most of us guys when our wives were giving birth. I I don't even remember it. I mean, I blacked out, I think, but. So Joseph is there to help. I imagine he's maybe holding her hand, but if he's like most young dads, he would have been of very little help. And what's interesting is when you compare this to the cultural customs of the day, hospitality was a big deal in Middle Eastern culture. Hospitality was something that was very important to the Jews. And so they're not barbaric, insensitive people. They're not the kind of people who would, who would leave a woman alone to fend for herself to have her baby. But in this case, 
That's what happens, evidently. Uh, where were the midwives? You know, we read about the midwives in, in, in Exodus. <laughs> There's no mention of midwives here. You would think that the innkeeper would have at least known someone that could be there to help out, but Mary is there. Mary's giving birth. Mary takes Jesus, lays him in a manger, which is nothing more than a feeding trough. It's not a bassinet. It's not a crib lined with silk or satin sheets or whatever. There are no Fisher-Price toys dangling above the manger. No little carousel with Noah's Ark animals dangling above the manger. This is a feeding trough. This is a, this is a place where animals came, where animals ate, where animals did their business. There were smells. G. Campbell Morgan says this, think of the pity of the scene. She brought forth. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. It's very beautiful, he says, but oh, the pity of it, the tragedy of it, the loneliness of it, that in that hour of all hours when womanhood should be surrounded by the tenderest of care, she was alone. The method of the biblical writer is very distinct. She, with her own hands, wrapped the baby around with those swaddling clothes. She lays him in the manger. There's no one to do it for her. After the physical experience, the most painful experience that anyone could experience, she's doing it. Again, the pity of it and yet the glory of it to the heart of Mary. Now, again, we don't know anything about the innkeeper. The Bible doesn't say anything about him. One thing that we do know is this. Whatever hospitality that Mary and Joseph perhaps hoped to find at his inn, they found none. And what they did find was a cattle stall, a feeding trough. Here, here's the point. Why does the innkeeper and those like him, why do they miss out on Christmas? Because they're just too preoccupied with life. They're just too busy. Bethlehem was no doubt hustling and bustling. People just like Mary and Joseph had come from all over. Everybody was being inconvenienced. But because of the inconvenience of the census, here you have a couple. God going to bring blessing to the world through them. <laughs> and people are indifferent to it all. Let me ask you this question. Are you busy this Christmas? Even now, is there a lot of stuff going through your mind you got to do, places you got to be? Don't miss Christmas because you're so preoccupied, because you're so busy. There's a third group of people who miss out on Christmas, not simply those who were caught up in their idolatry or those who were complacent and preoccupied, but number three, what about those who were content with their religious rituals? Luke 2 indicates that there's another group of people, evidently, who miss out on Christmas. Now, I love the shepherds here in, in this passage. I love the story of the shepherds. Outcast of society, people who were looked upon as being ceremonially unclean by the rest of society. Here they are, out with their sheep, out in a field, and the angelic host appear to them, of all people, to announce the good news of the birth of Christ. So out of all of the people that could have been singled out to receive this message of good news and glad tidings, God singles out these shepherds 
Shepherds were despised. Again, they couldn't maintain all of the ceremonial washings and activities that were required in Jewish life because they were so busy tending to their sheep. In fact, these guys were so frowned upon that whenever there was a death, whenever there was a body that had to be, a corpse that had to be removed, you want to know who they typically called in Jewish society? They called the shepherds. So, you know, shepherds and local funeral directors. <laughs> that was their occupation. And, and the reason is contact with the dead body would make someone ceremonially unclean. So let's just go ahead and use the guys who are already ceremonially unclean to begin with. So nobody wanted to spend time with shepherds. Nobody wanted these guys around. And yet, these are the very ones that God dispatches the angels of heaven to to announce the good news of Christ's birth. And that tells you who he's come to save, by the way. What's interesting to me, there's some unnamed people here in this passage because the shepherds, they announce the news. They go away from the manger scene announcing the glad tidings, telling everybody the good news that they had heard. And it's interesting, though, to me that they're the only ones who seem to be there who seemed to come to the manger scene, who seemed to understand the significance of it all because it had been explained to them. Now, folks, let me tell you, there are a lot of people who will miss out on Christmas this year because they're just simply blind to so much religious ritual. Religion is what matters to them, not a real relationship with God, but religious ritual. Think about the scribes. Think about the Pharisees. Think about the very ones... That, that, that Jesus will have confrontation with throughout his ministry. You know, Jesus said things like this. I, I, I didn't come to those who were already righteous, but I came to those who were in need of a physician. The sinner, the outcast, the unclean man, the unclean woman, the woman with the sordid past, like the woman at the well of Samaria in John chapter 4, or the woman caught in adultery, where everyone else was ready to stone her. Jesus came for these folks. Well, so many else are so content and smug in their religious routine and religious ritual, sadly, they can miss Christmas altogether because they miss out on the fact that this is good news for sinful humanity. Here's a Savior. Here's hope for you. So who misses Christmas? Those caught up in idolatry, those who were complacent and preoccupied, those who were content with religious routine and ritual, and then what about fourth, those who were callously self-centered. People who are self-centered and calloused and hard-hearted, they'll miss out on Christmas. Now, you don't see this in Luke 2, but if you go to Matthew's gospel for just a second and go to Matthew's account of the Christmas story, it's different from Luke's account Matthew chapter 2 tells the story of the wise men after the manger scene. Well, after the fact, there are some other things that happen concerning the Lord's nativity. Now, we are told by Matthew that Herod is the king of the land. And Herod pretends to have this desire to worship the newborn king. These magi show up from the east in the days of Herod the king, uh, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now look at verse 3. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And that word translated trouble there, it's a word that means to be agitated. A word that means to be stirred up. It's this idea of complete panic. So the, the, the news of these wise men coming to worship the king that had been born, the rightful king of the Jews, this sends Herod into a tizzy. It sends all of Jerusalem into a tizzy. There's a panic. Why is Herod so concerned? Well, because he is a usurper to the throne. That's why. The rightful king has been born. That means that Herod is he's going to have to, he's going to, have to step down from the throne. It's not his throne to occupy. Herod was a puppet king. In fact, he was an Edomite. He wasn't even, he wasn't even a Jew. He, he marries uh, Mariamne, who was a Jewess, just so that he could have some type of potential claim to the throne and to the kingship. But he was really just a puppet in the hands of Rome. But one thing we do know about this guy, Herod was an absolute brutal kind of a guy, ruthless. So much, he was so ruthless that he, he, he murdered his own brother-in-law. Uh, so ruthless that even upon uh, his own death, he ordered the execution of a lot of other people just so that there'd be people who would be crying when he died. Pretty nice guy, huh? It's Herod who issues the slaughter of little baby boys in why? Because there's a rival to my throne in Herod's mind. So here's somebody who's plagued by jealousy. Here's somebody who's plagued by fear. Here's somebody who's callous and self-centered. And because it's all about him, Herod is going to miss out on Christmas. You know, the news of Christmas, some people don't want to celebrate Christmas. They don't want Christ because he might just cramp their style. He'll lay claim to their lives because Christmas means that there is someone who is king and you ain't him. And Christmas means that I've got to bow before this king and I've got to surrender my life to this king and that's good news because he is a perfect king and he is the rightful king. But you see, it's bad news if you want to reserve the right to run your own life and some people are going to miss out on Christmas this year because they just want to be in charge. They want to run their own life. They want to call the shots. They want to live the way they want to live. They want to come up with their own version of morality. They want God to conform to their standards rather than him or them conforming to his holy standards. And folks, if that's you, you'll miss out on Christmas. One last group of those who miss out on Christmas. You've got those caught up in idolatry, those who are complacent and preoccupied, those who are content with their religion and nothing more, those like Herod who are callous and self-centered. What about those who are just simply indifferent? They're characteristically indifferent. In Matthew 2, Herod, you know what he does upon hearing that the king has been born, the rightful king has been born? Verse 4 says that he assembles all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So the religious leaders in Jerusalem, he, is, he calls an assembly, he hosts a convention, and all the delegates show up. I mean, these are the guys who have all the answers. These are the guys who know their Bible frontwards and backwards. These are the guys who can quote the prophets. 
And Herod asked the question, tell me, where is it that the Messiah is supposed to be born? And they tell him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it's written by the prophet, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here you've got some guys who know where the Messiah is supposed to end up. They know what the prophet Micah has said about where the Messiah is to be born. Herod summons the wise men. He finds out what time the star had appeared. He sends them to Bethlehem, and listen to what he says. Go search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word that I too may worship him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You ain't interested in worshiping him. And so after listening to the king, they went their way. They're led by the star, and and they end up in Bethlehem, and they bring gifts. But you know... There's no mention of the chief priest or the scribes or the religious leaders accompanying these magi. The people who knew their Bibles, the people who had all of the answers, the people who knew what the problem, you think that they would at least have some curiosity and interest and would accompany the wise men to Bethlehem. But there's no mention of the religious leaders going. You wanna know why? Because they were indifferent. And they represent those who know all of the right answers. And they put bumper stickers on their cars that say, keep Christ in Christmas and things like that. But you know, there's just really nothing but indifference in their heart when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to the need of humanity and the lostness of humanity. Folks, you can miss Christmas if you're not careful. And you can be so caught up with idolatry this time of year. And you can be self-centered this time of year and make it all about you. You can be caught up in the religious ritual of it all and arguing back and forth about this and that and the other. And you can be complacent and you can be indifferent. And, and here's the thing, if you are, you will miss Christmas. But I don't want you to miss Christmas. God doesn't want you to miss Christmas. He wants this to be the absolute best Christmas that you've ever had because of Jesus. Would you stand with me for prayer this morning? Charles Wesley was one of the greatest hymn writers who ever lived, and he was the youngest of 18 children. Wrote more than 3,000 hymns, but in 1737, he was working on a new song for Christmas. And he wrote what is arguably the greatest Christmas hymn that has ever been written. And here's what he said. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? That's that's the problem with the world. That's the problem with humanity. Humanity is alienated from God, caught up in idolatry, carried away with the spirit of indifference, complacent, content with religion and ritual, and all of that ultimately has in common, one thing in common, it's unbelief. But the good news of Christmas is God and sinners reconciled. Hark, the herald angels sing. You know what the word hark means? It means listen. It means pay careful attention. It means stop what you're doing so that you don't miss Christmas. That's what it means. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I'm telling you, you, the greatest gift that you could ever receive on this Christmas day 
is the gift of eternal life. It's the gift of God in Jesus Christ. Your sin being forgiven, blotted out, separated from you as far as the east is from the west, your name written in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus Christ being your life and your inheritance for all of eternity. Aren't you grateful for Christmas? Aren't you grateful for Jesus? We're going to sing here in just a moment, and I'm just going to offer a simple invitation. If you need to come, you need to be saved. You need to talk to one of our pastors about baptism. If you just need to come and find a place and pray, maybe you want to just come and say, Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the gift of my Savior. Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you have for us this Christmas day. Lord, we turn away from idolatry. Forgive us of being so passionate over lesser things and giving lip service to the gospel and to the mission of God in the world. God, forgive us of being selfish at times and even complacent in our lives. When you've been so good to us, Lord. God, may we be like the shepherds in Luke 2, having come to Bethlehem. Boy, we just got to tell everybody what we've heard. Glad tidings, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's the message of the gospel. God and sinners reconciled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.